if you think about algorithmic screenshots of ourselves, I don't know what that looks like or you no. know what 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 yeah, that yeah. says about me. So and you can't throw it away. It's, no. It, yeah, it's what Anna also says in her book. Uh, one of the defining and weird things of modern selfies is that we take like a thousand and throw away nine hundred of them. Yeah. Welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast by the Institute of Network Cultures, Zero Infinite. My name is Miriam Rasch. I'm here in the radio studio in the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences with my two colleagues, Leonike and Inte. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and today we will be talking about the online self and selfie culture. And we do so, uh, well, we actually have, um, I guess, two important Um, points of reference. We had a conference in Rome, uh, Fear and Loathing of the Online Self, and we have the publication within our Theory on Demand series of a book by Anna Pereika, who was also at the conference, Culture of the Selfie, Self-Representation in Contemporary Visual Culture. And we'll, we'll hear many different angles to, to the selfie story, I guess. But um, Inter Leonike, you were there in Rome. Yeah, so uh, we organized that with uh, the John Cabot University and uh, Roma Tre University in Rome. So we got to see lots of uh, beautiful spaces in Rome that uh, that we didn't know about. Did yet. you take selfies like at the Forum Romanum? I took some selfies of a roof terrace. I think. Yes, and we took some selfies with the the selfie flyer. Oh, that's mm. true. Yeah, kind of meta. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, yeah, so there were uh, a lot of great uh, talks and uh, I think thematically the conference could be kind of categorized in two uh, different themes. Uh, so one is more on the visuality, which I think Anna is, a, is an example of. And I think uh, Rebecca Stein, who has a very different uh, topic. She talks about Israel and how soldiers use selfies, but it's also kind of about the visuality and how it's used. And then I also talked to Wendy Chan, uh, who talked to me about um, kind of the more algorithmic uh, nature of the online self and how we're categorized into different uh, neighborhoods and how that influences what we can, how we can be online. Yes. And I think, I hope, or I think at least that by the end of uh, this episode, it will be kind of clear that all these things really hang together. So the visual part and the algorithmic part and the political part, uh, which may seem quite distinct uh, at first sight, they all have something to do with each other. Yeah, so maybe uh, uh, you can tell a bit more about uh, Anna Paraika's uh, work. Yeah, um, Anna Paraika's book uh, we also presented at the, at the conference. So she... Uh, uh, published a book in our Theory on a Month series, um, Culture of the Selfie, Self-Representation in Contemporary Visual Culture. And um, uh, this book is about the selfie and the self-image in regard to the places they're recorded in. She's Yeah, she also, she, I think it's interesting, her, her history as a uh, photographer, right, that uh, plays in, into this and, and uh, the art historical 
Yeah. Um, she's writing from uh, from her own studio, um, which was in a, which is in her family for a long time. Photography studio, right? Yeah, a photography yeah. studio, and um, it was her grandfather's and her father's, and they were also taking selfies, very funny selfies, and uh, but also war selfies. Um, as Some a way of the selfies are in the book. They're in the book, yes. Mm -hmm. As a way uh, of presenting themselves as being there, as survivors of the war, for example. Um, uh, but also just really funny, uh, funny selfies yeah, in I the think studio. One of them is, uh, I think the first one she actually shows is uh, her grandfather. And she says, I think she, that he's drunk. And I thought that was really special <laughs> that there <laughs> exists such a like early example of, uh, I don't know, if, uh, a selfie. And that someone's drunk in it. That's yeah. <laughs> well, but I also saw um, that there's even a special term for selfies when you're drunk. Drelfies. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. I've never heard of that. Hashtag Drelfie. <laughs> <laughs> I think most selfies might be Drelfies. <laughs> well, uh, I, don't I don't know. know. No. Sometimes when you sit on in the train, there there are people who are just spending yeah. the whole train ride yeah. taking selfies, right? Yeah, yeah I also saw yeah, yeah a, a girl. We were waiting for a, a plane and it was delayed, and she just spent an hour taking the perfect <laughs> selfie. I mean, yeah. it's a good way to entertain yourself. Yeah, and I I think uh, the, um, Anna's book shows us that the selfie is not something uh, new, um, and also um, self-portraiting uh, often. Uh, recorded now um, with with some kind of scene behind uh, our back. So uh, she really traces the whole art history of yeah. self-portraiture. Yeah, from and the that's Renaissance. of course uh, something that has been going on for centuries now um, with painters picturing themselves yeah. within a scene yeah. on a painting, even before they were making just self-portraits of themselves. And she really shows how. This is a long history of, of, of an interest in self-portraits, but also how the techniques change within that history. Yeah, the, the changes in, this, in the self-portraits since the Renaissance, um, she said, deals with the development of, of perspectives and centering the self in, in visual culture, from the self in the mirror to a mirrored self-image. So before, painters were painting themselves from a mirror, in a mirror, and now this mirror is included in the technologies we use. Yes, so so just to give an example, I think it's a very uh, famous example by um, Jan van Eyck. So then we're talking about a long, long time ago, and he, he portrays a, a, a couple, yeah. and then very small in the background, there's a mirror, and uh, it wasn't even noticed by, by everyone who looked at the picture, but in the mirror you can see the the painter Jan van Eyck himself, mm -hmm. yeah. and she she really um, uh, draws up a whole scheme of how you know uh, the the figures in the picture and and the viewer of the picture are uh, related to each other. So the mirror is kind of a way of putting the viewer in the world that is portrayed, and and then uh, creating the relationship between it. Not the viewer, but the painter. The painter. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. So, but so the viewer of the scene that he painted or she. Yes, but the painter is not the same as the viewer. Uh, no, that's, that's also what uh, Anna shows in her book. Yeah. And and now, of course, when we uh, take our smartphone and uh, reach up in the sky to take our selfie, it is in itself also a kind of mirror. Yeah, yeah. It's included in the technology, yeah. of course. Yeah. 
And I also like uh, what she says, and, and she really uh, states that absolutely in the beginning of her book about how it's not anymore about the world that is in front of you, but in modern selfies, it's actually about the world behind you. So she writes, uh, reality commonly set in front of the author is now pushed into the photo photographically irrelevant second plane of existence behind his back. So this is just um, a bit of an introduction to Anna, and I think we can now listen to her uh, fragments. Yeah, basically technical differences were related to the use of mirror mm -hmm. and the use of lenses. So what is characteristic, as I see it with mirroring technologies today, is that providing a wide view was very similar to the view which was offered by early self-portraitists. And uh, this view is offering us a, a wide insight into the environment they are standing in. So there is much more of the background or of the second plane being visible. And thus it is not only the world, uh, not only the self-portrait, but also description of the world behind the back. Only what changed meanwhile since the Renaissance, the first imagery of self-portraits till nowadays, is that before painters were showing the world in front of themselves with a mirror in included inside, like for example in uh, paintings of uh, Vermeer, or paintings or uh, Jan van Eyck, but uh, today they are reporting on the world behind the back because there is a mirroring technology being included. Yeah, so the mirroring technology is really uh, a focal point in Anna's uh, analysis of the selfie, right? Yes, yes, and especially um, uh, the world behind the back becomes more important, as she said. And she's uh, making a reference to this uh, CNN reports that uh, some scene is behind someone's back and something is happening and it doesn't easily scare us anymore because we're used to this way of reporting. Oh, so like a reporter standing, you know, with the, you know, as you often see, like the whole whole crowd of reporters reporting in front yeah. of something happening. Yeah, so she's making uh, a comparison to the myth of pursuits that um, the re reality behind the back is, is a way for us to um, to deal with this, uh, with this kind of scene. So the myth of pursuits who had to kill uh, Medusa and he couldn't do so because if you look Medusa in the eyes, she will turn you into stone. So to deal with, the, uh, with Medusa, he had to use a mirror, or in this case, he used a polished shield to deal with her reflection. So he was able to kill her. So the world behind the back is a mirrored world in the image, works precisely as in the myth of Perseus, in the way that Perseus was killing a Gorgon Medusa by using a polished shield, so that way he was controlling the reality. So the real reality was dangerous for him, so he was using reflected reality to be able to master the real reality. And that is something I see quite in common uh, to nowadays uh, relationship of our real bodies and virtual bodies, in which the reality itself has become something very alien to the perception and thus it is somehow reported as the world behind the back. So actually the problem is if the selfies which are uh, consciously recording, for example, uh, a large catastrophes, dead bodies or similar things and events which are 
extremely painful to be participating in are actually reporting from the state of witness or uh, reporting as in media reports of CNN. The problem is that without a real experience, these events are not actually being lived. And when the world appears behind the back, these, these experiences have never happened. They just appear as a mere images, like people being killed behind the back, committing suicides or dead bodies behind. So it's some kind of indirect relationship to reality from where a fear of reality can be also deduced and some kind of post-digital returning back to the reality, but from a completely different angle. So now we, um, we enter into reality that uh, is, is maybe too difficult or too tough to deal with directly. And I think that is also uh, what the other researchers that we talked to um, are interested in. So mm -hmm. uh, the mediation of, of, a, of a tough reality. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what she says about uh, to, to take a selfie with a scene is actually not to live the scene. So it's, it, it becomes an image of, of something that doesn't really exist. You didn't see what you photographed. You, didn't, you weren't there in that moment. So that's, it's, it's almost the same as photoshopping yourself onto an image. Or, you know, what's the, why are you in the image? What, what's the relationship between the scene and the person that takes the selfie? Well, I think it, in many cases it counts as a proof, yeah. Yeah. Don't you think? It's proof that you were there. Yeah, but but, but, but not seeing no. the actual thing. No, or being part of the of the scene or uh, having any relationships to the people uh, yeah. Yeah, being there. Yeah, so it's actually, even though it's a proof of having having been there, it's also distancing yourself from what was there. But maybe you can also compare that to the habit that a lot of people have when they go to a concert, for example, mm -hmm. and they just start filming the whole concert yeah. <laughs> uh, without kind of enjoying or, or looking at the people who are on the stage and not just at the screen capture of the people on the yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, just all those little little screens you see that are all these little like mediations of the actual experience that we're all sharing. On the other hand, uh, when you say you're not really there and the actual experience that we're having or not having, it also makes me wonder if there still is something that you could call an actual experience. I mean, does that even exist? Or, I mean, yeah, I mean, taking the selfie is an actual experience and it's, it's embedded in the whole, it's part of that scene. You know, that scene mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore without someone taking a selfie. So so it's a way of having proof of something that happens then. Yeah, and, and, and uh, the whole kind of constellation of an, an event includes those th people taking pictures. You know, it's, it's not a separate thing anymore. No, I'm just mentioning it because uh, it's also a very kind of uh, and I, I definitely don't mean that um, that Anna does that in her book, but you know uh, the, the the way of uh, criticizing people who can only live life through their screens. Mm. It's also kind of an uh, almost old-fashioned way yeah. of thinking about the way we live with media. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And what I find so fascinating uh, in her work is that she shows that even, you know, in the Renaissance, painters were 
engaging in the same kind of uh, literal reflection on their own being in a scene. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's actually, it's really nice to see this really long history because we tend to fall back onto onto these critiques of new media as they appear as mm-hmm. kind of degrading the human experience or something. But then as you, as, if you really analyze the historical connections you can make, it's something that we've done for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I think... The next one that we have coming up is um, is well not afraid of uh, really going into rea- reality and all its uh, bloodiness. Into you talk to Rebecca Stein. Uh, yeah, so uh, Rebecca Stein is um, an associate professor of uh, cultural anthropology at Duke University, uh, and I talked to her at the uh, conference in Rome, uh, and she does really interesting uh, research on the role or how social media is used, how social media are used by individuals and uh, and also the state in Israel. So she looks at uh, selfies that are taken by soldiers and how the individual self is portrayed, but then also how uh, being soldiers, how they're in- incorporated into a state narrative and how the, how the state uses the individual and it's uh, and their uh, online presence. She wrote a book together with Adi Kunstmann, uh, which is called Digital Militarism. And this is a term uh, that kind of uh, describes two developments. One is the, um, it's kind of set in, in, in uh, a recent history in Israel. And she, uh, or they talk about uh, the growing techno- technological skills in Israel as a society and also the the rightward shift in politics uh, in that same society and how those two kind of combine to create digital militarism. Shall we just yeah. go to the fragment? Yeah, so uh, she talks about uh, soldiers and how they use selfies in relation to their online identity within a state uh, that is uh, militarized. <laughs> So in the talk I gave, I showed a set of selfies that were produced by soldiers um, as they were waiting to deploy for a military operation in the Gaza Strip in 2014. And one of the things I think is interesting about these selfies is they help us rethink this kind of story, which I think ultimately is a social fiction, that the selfie is always the kind of... um, workings of of the lone individual producing their personal face you know giving us an image of their face to circulate online when in fact these selfies in particular are at once portraits of these individual israelis is mostly israeli women but they're also pictures of the state so they speak in a double idiom they speak um, through the kind of um, language of the individual and the language of the face and of course all these selfies are very familiar to us they're women posing seductively. Um, They use all of these familiar selfie conventions um, like the duck face pout. But there are also stories of the state. There are also images of the face of the state and not just any state but a militarized occupying state in the midst of um, a military incursion which would claim many lives. I think in a way these are not the exception. These selfies in the way they speak at once as one and as many, as once as the individual end of the state, but all, but they're actually, in a sense, the rule of the selfie, as we learned in this conference, that they're a kind of, it's a kind of social, social media form that is about 
collective social processes, in this, in this case, processes that are linked to state violence. So the selfie as a, a method of state vi violence. Yeah, and um, it's yeah. So it's, it, she kind of shows how how the individual is part of a bigger. A, yeah, uh, you're always part of of a community, or or uh, I think to to kind of refer forward into time <laughs> to Wendy Chun's uh, fragment a little later on. She she talks about neighborhoods, and uh, I think that's also that's a that's something that's happening uh, here as well. You you you're part of a um, yeah of a, of a community that that exists in a political sense as well, and it's uh, is used in a political sense. So Rebecca to, uh, told me more about how these individuals and how they use uh, social media. They've also uh, learned to kind of deal with the political reality that they live in and how uh, how they've learned strategies of individual uh, repudiation of their opposing uh, so so what does repudiation mean exactly <laughs> I know but <laughs> because um, it's a, it's a, a difficult term I guess. yeah so a uh, quick um, dictionary uh, moment <laughs> uh, repudiation means uh, uh, sort of rejection or the I think over overthrowing or um, undercutting maybe of uh, of an of an idea of a of a uh, kind of to say something isn't as it as it is presented and uh, so Rebecca Stein uh, looks at how that how that's happening through individuals through Israeli individuals and uh, within the context of Palestinian online uh, individuals as well. How Israeli individuals kind of repudiate what yeah. Palestinians are saying. So the second half of my talk today was focused on the, um, the growth within Israeli sort of mainstream media discourse of um, the repudiation of a repudiation narrative. We know a lot about fake news, especially those of us living in the US. We're inundated right now with Trump's charges of fake news, with with anxiety from journalists about what is fake, what isn't fake, um, how does one counter fake news, right? What does one do about the seductive nature of the of the fake news charge as a political weapon? What I was trying to think about today is how is the history of this same charge in the Israeli context? Because of course it's not this is a charge that's circulating globally right now. Um, but it has very particular histories in, in the particular context in which it's used. And what I was trying to talk about today is how the charge of fraudulence, um, particularly as it's used online by Israelis against Palestinian testimonial video of state violence in the West Bank, how this charge of fraudulence is being le leveraged as a political weapon. Um, but not only that, how Israelis learned how to employ these tools, how they learned the script of repudiation, and it took some time. There was nothing self-evident about repudiating, right? It took some time to develop the language of repudiation, the skills in working to repudiate an image. All of this had to be developed, and in the, in the present, it's become a very, um, it's been normalized. Repudiation, this kind of repudiation, in other words, the claim that Palestinian testimonial video is false is rampant in Israel. And it, it has a particular history, which I was trying to describe today. So I can see the connection between 
um, people learning more and more uh, technological skills, handling media, handling themselves within the media, um, and kind of uh, political forces that that maybe we don't understand or control yet, like fake news, mm -hmm. um, and how these go hand in hand. So I also think, and I really like that she, she makes the connection to fake news, because that's also something that uh, derives from, from a very high level of technological skills by many, many, many people yeah. in, in, in layers or in groups or in um, states even. Uh, that that maybe didn't have those skills uh, as of now. Yeah, and uh, and it, I think fake news is also it like if you trace it back, I think it can be uh, you have to point to bloggers and individuals that started doing this and started creating alternative narratives, you know, or alternative facts as they're called. And uh, so it's really um, from individuals' political. Um, beliefs uh, that these things come come into being, I think, and then they're uh, through so many people getting involved and and uh, learning these technological skills to actually create, like, kind of inundate uh, a discussion with a material and uh, push push towards a, a specific uh, uh, general consensus. Yeah, because it's not just nerds anymore who who no. are uh, posting their conspiracy theories. Uh, no, no. Into I, I kind of wanted to ask you because some time ago you and uh, some of your fellow writers uh, published an INC long form, which was about uh, Instagram behavior of ISIS, I ISIS. sympathizers. Yes. yes. And I guess also selfies are part of that. And 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 I really had to think back uh, to this long form, uh, which is still online and you can read it on our website, uh, because there you guys also show, you know, how these groups that we maybe don't, how do you say it? We don't think of them immediately when we talk about highly uh, skilled, you know, uh, tech users. Yeah, but they are, and they have also learned these languages, just as we all have, you yeah. know, and use them and and play within a political context with them. Yeah, and actually, really creating quite media savvy, not only tech savvy, but also media savvy mm -hmm. images and and uh, signs and and uh, references. Like uh, we saw that. Uh, people used uh, references to uh, Call of Duty and uh, also um, uh, Lord of the Rings as well. So what we would consider very Western you know, media phenomena, uh, they're used in a different way within this community. And uh, the use of emoji on uh, in, in comments, uh, like specific emoji, we kind of understood to have a different uh, meaning than... If you if you didn't know about the the specific histories, for example, um, a green heart in that uh, sphere had a uh, was a uh, a reference to foreign fighters in the in the conflict in, in Bosnia uh, in the 90s uh, who were believed to when when they when they died believed to uh, turn into green birds. So mm. the green was yes. really like throughout these images, green was really present, pre uh, and 
that was such a you have to kind of understand the languages that are used and they're really formed between communities and and no one really can grasp what's happening but i think that's similar uh, yeah. in very different communities and it's a the understanding of visual language and how it develops and uh, how people take take that visual language up and uh, use it uh, like in the images themselves yeah uh, yeah so also posing with the cat was a specific thing because it has relevance in uh, uh, Islamic uh, belief and and posing um, with cats has specific relevance for Instagram as a whole, of and course. And that's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe online culture, you know? <laughs> yes. It's very important. Um, yeah, so th- we kind of realized quite early on that we might, you know, make dog faces, but there's so many different things that um, uh, if you learn the languages, you can recognize the, the, the kind of relationships that that exist and the, the, the communities that are drawn into and kind of influence each other and are determined by their by their environment, but determine their environment as well. Yes. Yeah, so so we are both uh, steered, but also actively steering. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe also a bit uh, what Wendy Chun is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I think. Uh, now, after listening to Wendy Chun, I understand even more what I saw then, I think. Yeah. So one point is that in terms of what's being called personalization or prediction, individual prediction, um, what matters isn't your own individual action, but the ways in which your actions correlate with others. Mm-hmm. So the example that I gave of the Facebook likes determining someone's gender or race, that's based on how people like you act. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if things are personalized, it's not because of your own data per se, but the, rather the ways in which your data correlates with others. So what's important isn't what you necessarily do alone, but the ways in which you are mapped onto others. And the way you're mapped onto others usually is through the concept of homophily, which is that similarity breeds connection. If we find somebody who is like you, you will act like them. So correlation and similarity become the same thing. So the problem with that is many things. So one is you're placed in a neighborhood based on your intense likes and dislikes, which assumes that neighborhoods should be segregated, right? That people should be grouped according to these things. Now, you can say that the reason why you're grouped into these categories of intense likes and dislikes is that these are the groupings under which confirmation bias is most likely to happen because these are your intense hates and likes. You're far more moldable or shapeable, um, so therefore more vulnerable to suggestion. But undoubtedly, there are many different ways in which you're like others or the many different ways in which we can view clustering a network to make sense of it. Uh, So again, mutual indifference is one way of thinking through clusters. You all didn't click on X Mm -hmm. um, gives you a way of understanding how users react. So what's important is to always constantly think through things and refuse this kind of segregation because it's not even good for corporations. Corporations themselves realize that this is limiting people within certain items, so it's really hard for there to be any spontaneity or diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have an aggregate situation where 
diversity is decreasing, even if at an individual level, it, it may be increasing. So I guess what Wendy Chun is uh, referring to here is what is also called algorithmic identity. Wendy Chun, by the way, is a professor at Brown University. Um, and she wrote most recently the book Updating to Remain the Same, Habitual New Media. So algorithmic identity, how can we, can an algorithm be a selfie? Hmm. Is, is, is the, al is. the algorithmic um, data collection of our Facebook feeds and clicks and likes and connections, is that the ultimate selfie? I think it depends on who you who you're asking, because uh, of course I I immediately think uh, of course for companies and uh, and people who want to influence us, uh, it is the ultimate selfie. But for me, it might be something more dangerous and not my ultimate selfie. So yeah, I mean, for if you just want to sell things to someone that likes X and X and sorry, that likes X and Y, um, <laughs> then just just give them data and they're uh, happy but i th i think i think uh, that really kind of to draw it back to uh, to anna's work i think it's really interesting also to to look at the visual layers and what that says about what what we want with this or how we're influenced by it so i think that, that we should look for ways to push it in a way that's that's against the the groups we may be uh, uh categorized into Yes, because uh, like Wendy Chung says, we are put into neighborhoods and neighborhoods uh, almost uh, automatically lead to segregation. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it is a, a self-portrait that we make, isn't it? Are we not helping with our own segregation? What I do you guess think? We are. Yeah, but um, is, is that the fear and loathing of the online self that I'm... Is that what I'm experiencing right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now I'm just thinking about you know with a self-portrait you always have the control of like making the self-portrait and then destroying it or not or you know at least looking at it before it reaches someone else <laughs> I I think in in a more more traditional way but then if you if you think about algorithmic screenshots of ourselves I don't know what that looks like, or you no. know what 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 yeah, that yeah. says about me. So and I you can't throw it away. It's no. it, yeah, it's what Anna also says in her book. Uh, one of the defining and weird things of modern selfies is that we take like a thousand and throw away nine hundred of them. Yeah, yeah. But we never we're never able to throw away our Facebook no. uh, yeah. data because it's not owned by us. It comes down to control again. Which, uh, yeah, which Anna also uh, talked about. Who is the Medusa that we want to kill? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There are a lot of Medusas to kill, I guess. Ooh, Leonika, <laughs> now you scare me. <laughs> Name one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe it's a question we can't answer, but um, it's an interesting one to kind of uh, think about. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that because she has like, Anna in her book has like all these uh, drawings of s like schemes of how things like the viewer is here and the uh, mirror mm -hmm. is here. And I'm just trying to conceptualize, mm -hmm. you know, where is Medusa in the selfie? And 
And where is Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. <laughs> Always looking in from the corner. <laughs> you haven't noticed him before, but have He's a good close. look. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to look at some more material, if you want to read up on the blog, please uh, visit our website, networkcultures.org slash online self. Yeah, there's uh, just maybe one more addition that uh, uh, videos of the conference uh, might already be online. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the book by Anna is, of course, downloadable from our website as well. Yeah, there's a lot to read if you uh, found this uh, podcast interesting. And uh, send us ourselves your, your... No. <laughs> send us your algorithmic selfie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your ultimate algorithmic yeah. selfie. <laughs> I'm I'm curious what that would look like. Yeah. All right. That's it for now. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.